I'm Micah. You're listening to the TMI Project Podcast Season 2, Black Stories Matter, where we're amplifying the voices of black storytellers who got on stage and shared their stories of joy, pain, and resilience. Do you believe in second chances? For Shy Brown, after four years in prison, building a life that she's proud of is an uphill battle. The trials and tribulations she faces on a road to redemption illustrate why rehabilitation can feel out of reach for those who seek a better path. Wait, by the way, don't put that light on because I'm trying to look slim. Please. (laughs) Keep it just like this. It's nice. My mother was my hero. She was the prettiest woman in the world. 5'11 with caramel skin, short hair, amazing style, and her swag off the chain. She had big hips and a big butt that she so graciously passed down, as you can see. (laughs) She had a body to die for. You never know she gave birth six times. At one point in her life, she was a model for Ebony magazine. I wanted to be just like her. My earliest memory of my mother is from when I was six years old. We're walking down the street one day. I think we're going for ice cream, but we stop in front of a Kmart. She kneels down and says, angel eyes, I need you to sit on this bench. I have to go inside this store for one minute. I sit on the bench and I wait for her. To my surprise, she walks into the store looking slim, but she walks out looking fat. I don't understand what happened. Mommy, um, why did you go in the store skinny and come out fat? She snaps at me. Little girl, shut your mouth, asking me all these questions. Walk faster. Yes, mommy, I say without thinking. What did I tell you about calling me? I'm sorry, I mean Turlin. She doesn't like me to call her mommy. Every time I mess up, I apologize, and I try not to make that mistake again. My mother is a neighborhood booster. For those who don't know, in the hood, that's a thief. She sells what she steals to the people in the neighborhood. This is how she supports her drug habit. People approach her and put put in their orders. At six years old, I become her partner in crime. She uses me as her decoy to steal from the stores. On my seventh birthday, Terrilyn takes me to the store and tells me I could get whatever I want. I'm so excited, I go through those aisles picking up Barbie dolls and all kind of toys. I find her and she says, angel eyes, hold this. It's a black box. Inside is a beautiful ring with a pink diamond in the middle and two smaller diamonds on either side. Terrilyn leans down to me. Put that in your pocket and go sit, that, go sit in that chair in the mall and wait for me. Okay, I say. I start to walk away and she calls me, angel eyes, happy birthday, I love you. I love hearing her say that. I'm the happiest kid in the world, but I'm also the saddest because now I'm just like her. I've just turned seven and I'm already a thief. Turlin walks out the store with loads of merchandise. She grabs my hand and we begin to walk as fast as we can through the mall. Another successful day. Do you like your gifts, she says. Yes, I say, I do, I do, I love them. 
When we are far away from the store, she kneels down to me and says, you are beautiful and you can have anything in this world you want. Sometimes you might have to take it, but it can be yours. She goes on to explain her philosophy. The stores don't belong to our people. They belong to the white man. So why not take from them? They've been taken from us from decades. But under no circumstances do you ever take from your own people or steal from anyone's homes or personal belongings. Only from the stores, because they can be replaced. A year later, a few days before my eighth birthday, my mother and I are on our usual weekend stealing spree. By this time, I have become, a, become good, as, good at it, almost a pro like her. So good, Turlin allows me to do my own thing. It's both terrifying and thrilling. I finish and I'm waiting for her outside the store. I stare at the bracelet I just took and I feel a tremendous rush. I look up to see Turlin pushing a cart with nothing but coats on it right out the store. <laughs> Oh, if y'all could have seen the sight of that. <laughs> it was as if she was a store worker. Come on, girl, come on, hurry up. Let's go, follow me, behind me, let's go. Nothing seems suspicious. <laughs> until, until, we get, until we get behind the mall's um, outside door, and the winter coats are glaring through the summer air, I turn to see three police officers running towards us. Excuse me, miss, you are under arrest. Turlin pushes me back away from the police. An officer grabs me by the hand. I can't help but cry. My mother looks at me. It's gonna be okay, Angel Eyes. I will be going away for a while, but I will be back. Remember, never take anybody's shit. And whatever, you, whatever your heart desires, there's always a way to get it. I love you. I don't see my mother again for a year, but she is inside me. My growing addiction to stealing, I crave the rush. I want the material things and the chase to them. But stealing from the stores have become boring. I want something more exciting, something more faster. At 16, I move into my own apartment. I go from one addiction to another, replacing that high from stealing with the high that comes with using men for money to get what I want. I'm attracted to the fast drug dealers, the fast life that it provides. So I start to date, a, I start a relationship with a drug dealer. But with this one, I endure a lot of pain and heartache. And this lifestyle leads me to prison for four years. 80% of women in prison are black. I just became the 81%. Prison is supposed to be a place to rehabilitate, but whatever trouble you get into in the streets, you can get into in prison. How's that for rehabilitation? In prison, I see, I experience so much. Some things that I shouldn't ever see. I walk into prison, a lost soul trying to find myself, and I walk out even more lost, not knowing who I am. I'm paroled to the Department of Social Service. I have no home, no money, no clothes. I have nothing. I have nobody. 
and I don't have nobody who's willing to deal with the pressures of having a felon living in their house. DSS sends me to a shelter that is unlivable. There was no way I was living there or bringing my children to it. So I walk out and I become homeless and losing everything. The only thing I have are the clothes on my back. Well, that and one other thing, my determination to start over. I get up early every day and I walk the streets looking for help wanted signs. I put in at least 50 applications. Every time I have to check that box next to the question, have you ever been convicted of a felony? My stomach gets tied in knots. I despise checking that box because I know what comes after. I do have a few interviews, but every time we come to that question, I can see the disappointment in the interviewer's face. I have so many doors shut in my face. It's hard not to get discouraged. But I keep believing that all I need is one person, just one person, to give me a chance so I could prove myself. After months of searching for a job, I decided to go to school. But even that became a process. I can't just fill out an application and financial aid like everybody else. I have to write Albany to get approval letters, explaining why I want to go to school and how I have changed since my crime. I have to get references from my pastor, my mentor, my case manager, my parole officer, et cetera, et cetera. After all of that, I have to sit in front of a committee of five and explain why I want to attend school, explain my crime and how I've changed. I feel so violated. Like, I'm in front of a judge and jury all over again. I'm sharing my life with strangers who know about me, but I know nothing about them. It doesn't seem fair. As much as I want to forget I'm a felon, society won't allow it. Living your life under a microscope is a day-to-day -day struggle. And if you don't have a support system or even someone to give you a chance, it's possible you will recommit and become a felon over and over again. But it doesn't have to be that way. I stand here today proving that life can change. I have my own place, a car, and I'm working on my second degree. I'm working on my second degree to become a social worker so I can help people like myself. Thank you. I stand here today a proud woman, proud of who I have become and who I will be. And nothing or nobody can take that from me. No, I can't just have whatever material things I want to steal, like my mother taught me but I can have a good, honest life if I fight for it. Thank you. This episode is a collaborative creation, developed and written by myself, Haley Downs, Shante Howell, and Daryl Lurie. Haley also edited, and the theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. TMI Project's Executive Director is Eva Tenuto. 
the Director of External Affairs is Sarah DeRose. The Operations Manager is Blake File. Shantae Howell is the publicist for this season of the podcast, and Clarissa Marie Ligon is our Black Stories Matter Virtual Workshop Manager. Lauren Gill is our Graphic Designer and Webmaster. This podcast is co-produced by Radio Kingston. If you like what you're hearing from us, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It really helps. tmiproject.org backslash Black Stories Matter is where you'll find more information about participating in online true storytelling workshops just for black folks or attending a virtual live performance for an all-inclusive audience. Help us continue to create radically true stories that have the power to change the world. Make a donation today. tmiproject.org